everybody, and welcome to Views on View. Today in our panel, we have Divya Sasidharan, who is a view contributor and educator in the community. Hello, hello. We also have Eric Hanchett, who is also an educator, has a cool YouTube channel and author of Vue.js in Action. Hello, everyone. We have Ben Hong, who is also in a view educator, uh, writing a lot of resources and, and documentation in the view universe. Hey, everyone. And Natalia, I am very, very happy to announce, is a core team member of Vue. She's been doing some really awesome work in the Vue ecosystem for, for a long time, especially in documentation, including for the core docs. I think that was it just like just this morning you you, you made a, a like a contribution to like a, a, a new warning in, in Vue core. Yes. Hello, hello there. Awesome. And I am Chris Fritz, also a member of the core team. I also do a lot of work on documentation. And today our guest is Crystal Campioni. Hi, everybody. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. Crystal, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm currently working as a senior front-end developer uh, at Shopify. And I've been working with front-end development and also design because I actually started working with design first around 10 years ago. And uh, since then, I've worked in lots of different kinds of projects from uh, mobile apps and games to virtual reality and web development. Wow, so no big deal. Just like a lot of the really hard stuff. <laughs> a lot of the cool <laughs> stuff, the, the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is fun. Like, you, you clearly seem to be attracted to like, things that are, that are highly like, visual. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, that's the, the part that I, that I enjoy the most to work with. So, for, for example, every time that I hear somebody complaining about CSS because CSS is hard or because they don't understand why people like CSS, I'm like, why? That's like the most fun part of, of development for the web, you know? Yes, thank you, Crystal. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I, I come from the background of uh, CSS and design is not as fun as, as the programming part, but I guess I'm probably in the minority on this. Crystal, would you, would you say you're more of a, a designer first and then kind of developer, web developer first? Is, is that how I kind of looked at your LinkedIn? It looked like you did a lot of design stuff at the beginning of your career. Yeah, that, that, you, that's true. Actually, I think that what happened to me was that uh, I kind of did everything in the beginning because pretty much everybody did everything in the beginning, like a long time ago. <laughs> And then it just got to this point that I had to choose between focusing on design or focusing on development because it was just too much for me to keep up uh, with. Uh, and then when I got to this, to this point, I figured that it would be something that I enjoyed more uh, working with uh, development, especially with uh, interactive stuff and, for example, JavaScript. 
or even this, this, these things that I did with uh, game development, uh, it was something that I enjoyed more than just creating the static designs. Not going to lie, I miss the days when we were called webmasters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your, your talk at ViewConf, like, you know, I, 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 almost, I, like, I don't really feel like there's, there's that much of uh, a separation between like design and development, like the really strong designers and really strong developers like are making beautiful things, which is also highly technical. Like you, you go into a lot of like really detailed tips uh, in your talk at, at ViewConf about animations and, and how to like, you showed us how to build a, a game and how to organize that in components and like the different tools and libraries that you can use to like make everything work together. Uh, and I, I definitely learned some stuff. Like I, I, I have to admit, like I, I didn't know about that trick that you used to do step animations for like a, a sprite sheet that just like, you know, moved through an animation. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, which, which one? <laughs> don't, don't so, so, so when you have like the, the fighter on the ship that mm-hmm. is like swinging, swinging the sword and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going through motions and it looks, it looks very smooth, but it's actually a bunch of still images and ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. this animation. Yeah. So it's basically uh, just playing a, a movie as a, like by using the background image of a div. So that's actually something that it, I think it's really interesting because you can, you can implement really, really like crazy complex animations in a way that is super simple to actually implement because it's just a CSS animation. And you're, you're just like moving uh, some keyframes on the background of some HTML element. Uh, and that's actually what uh, Twitter does on their, on their heart button. When you click on it, they have like all of these things moving around. And it's also a CSS background animation. So... How did you, like, for people who, who might see this talk, and I, I strongly recommend checking it out, uh, the, the videos should all be live by the time you, you hear this, on viewmastery.com. Check out Crystal Campioni's talk and, and all the other talks. And what, what Crystal built was, was really, really cool. It was this, uh, you know, relatively, relatively simple game because, you know, you don't want to do, go too complex in a talk. But it had a lot of, like, complex tricks in there that like you would you would actually use when when building a game or like building any kind of like really interesting and and highly visual interface so how how do people learn how to do this kind of stuff what was your journey like yeah uh, just just one thing that I, that I would just like to mention is that i didn't actually create the game itself like i just created the interface for the game because the, the actual uh, game logic, when you press the buttons and you change the, the, the life values and this kind of thing, was from this guy called Maximilian Schwarzmiller. Because I actually saw his, his game uh, when I was uh, watching his video courses, when I was learning to, 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 to program in Vue. Uh, and then because I, I, I saw his example, I said, okay, that's really nice. So maybe I can make this interface look closer to an actual game. Because it was just like buttons and the life bar. So what I did was like use uh, his game example that was basically just one game file that you could press some buttons to, to change the values of variables. And then I built the interface with the components and the, the, the actual characters and everything on top of that. Just, just so that, so that I, I, give, I give credit, credit to, the, to the people <laughs> so, that I, so that we don't, don't forget about that. 
about my background, uh, actually what happened was that I started, well, when I started, I was like kind of a web designer slash programmer doing kind of like everything. And because I really liked the, the visual aspects of it, I was just trying to learn by trying to understand how people implemented other stuff. And uh, some years ago, I actually did uh, attended, a, attended a course about uh, arts and, and um, design and programming for video games in Vancouver. And that helped me quite a lot because I actually learned how to like create 3D models and I learned about color theory and I did like life drawings and all of these kinds of things that are, that are more focused on the visual aspects of, of things that for me up to that moment was more kind of like guessing what to do and, and I didn't have a technical background for design before I, I, before I uh, attended this course. So this was something that helped me quite a lot. And also because um, I actually learned about how to program uh, shaders and how to uh, automate processes in 3D environments and this kind of thing. This is definitely something that I can apply uh, when I'm creating a new, a new project. For example, like the one that I, that I, uh, that I showed on, the, on my talk in, in the conference. Maximilian, another fellow German like yourself, we talked about him in our last podcast. He, uh, he was like the gateway drug for a lot of Vue developers to get into Vue because uh, his courses on Udemy is pretty popular. Was that like your first exposure to Vue, taking his course? Yeah, definitely. Because actually, like what happened was that I was working for another company before and they had this, this, this goal of uh, modernizing their tech stack that was pretty old. So basically what we did was that everybody sat together and we started making comparisons uh, between the like, popular JavaScript frameworks. And in the end, we decided that we would go for Vue because of many reasons. So then it, that's why like, I, I, I decided to, to take his course, try to understand how, how it works. Uh, and I actually really liked it. I, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, course and it's easy to follow and it's easy to understand. So I really liked it. So it sounds like you, you watched the Maximilian Schwarzmüller's course on, on Udemy. And for like the, and, and you also took this course, is this at a university or? It was a, a vocational course, a one-year course uh, in an institution called uh, Van Arts in Vancouver. Okay, cool. And so how did, you, how did you hear about that? Did you hear about that from like other developers or? About this specific course? Uh, yeah. It, it was kind of like I wanted to move to Vancouver to try to live in Canada for a while. And uh, I just Googled it. <laughs> and it seemed like a pretty interesting uh, subject to study. So basically, that's why I decided to, to attend this specific college. Got it. And then for the, the CSS stuff and a lot of the, the view resources that you used, like uh, the, the transition component and transition group, like... You, you talked about like watching what other people were building and, you know, you know, seeing like how they're using these tools. Like, can, can you name some examples of like specific blogs or people that you'd recommend following, you know, for people who want to learn like how, how really cool things can be built using these technologies? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that my main reference is definitely going to be Sarah Dresner because she has a lot of really cool material about this sort of thing. And uh, yeah, like my main reference. And also, I think that are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think that there are really uh, there are some some challenges that are really nice for you to to practice this sort of thing. Like uh, there was a the, the, there there is a like one of those 100 days of, of code challenges, and there was this this other one that I forgot the name, but which, it was basically for 
people to create drawings purely with CSS. And then like on top of that, you could understand how to uh, animate the drawings that you created purely with CSS. And then you, when, you, when you start like understanding how these, these things work in isolation, it, it kind of gets easier for you to understand how to integrate them into, into a project. Cool. And how did, you, how did you pick, like speaking of projects, how did you end up picking this specific project? You know, you talked about, you know, watching Maximilian's video where he, you know, he demonstrated a simpler interface for this game. How do you choose how to, how to pick a project? Because I, I think that's something that, that's very important that people often don't really talk about. It's just like, how, how do you find ways to practice the skills that you're learning? Yeah, I guess that like for me specifically what happens is that I, I have this one idea and then I get super excited about like trying to make that work. And then I just uh, sit down and I, and I try to make it work. And uh, especially when I'm learning something new, I think that that's really useful because uh, working on projects that I'm excited about actually allow me to better understand the thing that I'm trying to learn. So uh, this is actually one of the examples of uh, something that happened exactly like this because I, I watched this course after I had worked with uh, games in different scenarios. And then when I saw the game that he created with Vue, I was like, that's really cool. So maybe I can just like try to, to see if I can use the knowledge that I have from my previous projects into this new technology that I'm, that I'm trying to learn now. Actually, I think picking this topic for the talk was a great idea because many people, including me, had this wow moment like, oh my God, I know this game. I was watching this course and now she re-implements re it with animations. It was so cool. Like, thank you for this topic. It was great. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that you, that you enjoyed it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I've said this on air yet, but Crystal's talk was definitely one of my favorites. It was, it was in my top two, for sure, from ViewConf. I really, really loved it. That's an honor, especially because like, there were so many really, really cool talks on the conference. That's like a really hard competition going on there. Yeah, it's tricky to talk about this because like three of ViewConf US, four of ViewConf US speakers, including a guest, are actually right now on the podcast. <laughs> that is true. Which means Chris threw a lot of shade on some people. Crystal's absolutely right. There were there were a lot of really good talks. But I think I'm not denying, definitely. Like, above and beyond. Like it's the kind of talk that like I aspire to. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. I think just like the ability to show like what Natalia was saying, something that people would have come across in their learnings, like that Udemy course is really popular. And then like going from that and taking that and then just scaling it is really cool. Because it's totally tangible. Then people are like, because usually when you build a demo, people don't know where you started. They don't know what your starting point is. But in this case, it's super clear where the starting point was and where the ending point of the course was and then where she took it further, which is really neat. So if anything, it like, it's inspiring to a lot of people because if you're learning Vue, using a course or whatever, a lot of the demos are not like just like finished products in a sense. So it's like a good starting point and then you can take that further if you want to, which is cool. Yeah, and so for those that are eventually going to watch the video and see the cool animations, um, Crystal, like 
I noticed that you have all these like beautiful sprites and backgrounds. Like, are these things that you created yourself, or do you have like a resource that you use for these kind of things? Yeah, so it's kind of mixed. Like, uh, I actually uh, I did the, the illustrations for the ship and the oceans and like the whole background thing, and for the Viking. But the knights, I didn't illustrate myself because it was just too much work to create all of those sprite animations. So I, I took it from one of those free assets for video games uh, websites, but I can send you, the, send you guys the, the, the link afterwards because I don't remember. Yeah, I think that would be super helpful because I think a lot of developers want to build like, these sort of cool animation pieces, but maybe they get blocked by the inability to like, create their own. So, um, yeah, I think we'll definitely have to link to those in the show notes um, for those interested. Yeah, in more definitely, work. especially because there are lots of really cool resources for, for game art uh, online for free. So definitely, it's, it's, it's something that is really interesting to look, to look into. Cool, looking forward to those. So, so, Crystal, I'm kind of curious, what would you say is like your favorite animation tip that you, f- you feel like not enough people know about? I think that like playing around with the index of stuff in lists to to change the way that the animation works is something that not enough people talk about, I guess. Because basically, uh, it's it's such a silly thing because it's just like the position of that element in in a specific list, and you can create all sorts of different kinds of uh, staggering animations or uh, sequential steps and, and and stuff like that based on just like the index. For example, the 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 background uh, of of the of the video game, the clouds that are moving around, all of the animations for the clouds is basically just like the same cloud, but I'm rendering it ten times or five times or something like that, and then I just multiply the index of the cloud based uh, and, and and something else like for example the a value for for changing the size of the cloud so that I can have like smaller and bigger ones. And, and also the animation duration so that I can have like cars that are moving faster or moving slower and this kind of thing. And uh, I think that this is like one of the things that when I figured out how to make it work, I was like, this is really cool, <laughs> you know? And it's super simple to implement. So that's definitely like one of the things. So what kind of tools or libraries do you need to implement that? Not much, actually. Like, uh, for example, the clouds is just a, a V4 loop that is rendering all of the different clouds on the screen. And then what, what I'm doing is that I'm, I have a, another for loop in the SAS file. And then, like, I, I basically render the, the I, I count the same amount of, of clouds that I'm rendering on the, on the markup in the SAS file. So if I have, like, five clouds being rendered on the, on the markup, I'm just going to have a for loop that counts from uh, uh, up to, to five, and then I have the, this index that I can that I can use to uh, make small adjustments to all sorts of CSS properties. Mm, so, so you're using like an nth selector for that? Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Like a, a lot of people, like a lot of developers, when they think like, ah, oh, CSS isn't really that important, and then they could end up like over-engineering a solution for what you just talked about, where it's like it's actually just the same cloud. I just have different variations. And I have some like programming that I'm doing in SAS to make that really simple rather than you know trying to create like a separate component for every single cloud or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's the that's the sort of thing. Like I think that CSS is really, really powerful and it's getting more and more powerful with the newer stuff that that has been that that is currently being built. So we shouldn't underestimate CSS, I guess. I 100 percent agree. It deserves respect. Amen. 
So this is actually something I'm, I'm kind of curious about for, for the other people, especially Divya, because Divya also creates like really, really nice demos for her talks. If you haven't seen her talks, definitely just like search for Divya Sasidharan uh, and you'll see some, some really cool demos as well. So Divya, answering the same question, what are some of your favorite animation tips or like what's your, maybe one that not enough people know about? I feel like um, this is a hard one to answer because I'm not an animation expert at all. <laughs> like a lot of Crystal's demos were like beautiful. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I feel I think, like you don't give yourself enough credit. <laughs> poss- possibly. Like it's not really a tip, but it's something that I try to keep in mind, which is a lot of the stuff I build is trial and error to just kind of see if it works or not. Because there's sometimes there's an idea that I have in my head and then like trying to translate it into code for me, it takes a bit for me to understand like, okay, what exactly do I need to do? And so the, it, it is like a frustrating process. Like people don't see that because they're like, oh, it's so cool at the end. So I but, think you just invented it from your mind. And yeah, exactly. Just... I'm like, oh, you don't know how much work this took a lot because it's, it's just like a matter of understanding just like various animation concepts. And I'm not a designer. I'm someone who enjoys design and is like an amateur because I'm not professionally trained, but yeah, just like understanding, like easing and whether an animation is smooth and how it works requires a lot of like, for me, trial and error, because I don't have like a formula or solution for it. So for those who might not be aware, what do, what do you mean by easing? So if you want um, like a transition to happen, usually it's like a transition has a start and a stop. And so if you don't, do anything it just starts and it stops and like usually the time frame sometimes is like depends on like one second or two seconds or however much you want it but mm-hmm. it essentially like the in-between is the transition that happens so the longer time there is between start and end the like smoother the transition not necessarily because if it takes too long it can just be like kind of staccato like essentially when you think of animation it's all in frames so from start to finish there's frames in between and so to ease means that you have like a smooth move from one frame to the next. So it's trying to optimize the timing that that happens, whether you're easing in. So easing in is like one way of doing it. Easing out is another way of transitioning where you're trying to optimize whether this, whether it's faster at the beginning of the animation and slows down or whether it's slow at the beginning or fa- and fast at the end. So like, that's what I mean when I, talk about easing. So is easing also what people are doing when you have something that like bounces or something like that? Is that, do they, people call it easing? I feel like that's called like ease in and out or something or like bounce or something. Like this all <laughs> these terminology for it. But it, it basically shows like, you know, like how fast you're moving through the different frames at various yeah. points in the animation. Yeah, exactly. So there's like a graph. I'm going to have to find exactly where this is, but there's a resource that shows you on a graph how that looks like. So I think it's, it's cubicbezier.com or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So that it up. shows you a curve that gives you a visual sense of what easing is and how that looks like. And for me, it's really useful because it shows you it shows you the graph. And then when you hover over the image, it shows you like a ball and like how it moves across the graph to give you a sense of like what that looks like. It's kind of hard to translate that movement into the specific animation you're trying to make, but it gives you a visual sense of like what to expect. So yeah, that resource I found is really good for that. I think it's Cubic Bezier. That's one of them. 
Yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorites, cubicbezier.com. And you, it actually shows you like what the animation will look like. So you don't have to imagine it. You know, like you, you were just talking yeah. about trial and error. Like I can't imagine how things will look before I code them either. I know I know Sarah Drasner can do this sometimes where she can just like write out the numbers for like a cubic Bezier curve. And, and it's like, oh yeah, that's what I had in my head. <laughs> and I cannot do that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not at that level yet. I am only going to believe that when I actually see her doing it because it's impossible. Jesus Christ, that's no, crazy. That's not, that's not even the most impressive. Like, I, I swear, like, you know, like path data for an SVG? Mm-hmm. She she can actually like like type out the path data and understand what is ha- what's happening and like draw a curve that way. Oh yeah, I, I do not understand. I do not understand how. Yeah, that one Am requires I- like an like geometry in a set, or if you think about things as like a graph paper, and then you just it's difficult to do. Like I taught a class on this where I, it was basically data data visualization, and I was trying to explain SVGs and how paths work. And I had students like draw on graph paper. And that was actually a really good tool for them because it's like, it makes you think in terms of like pixels and like where exactly the XY coordinate is because it's flipped on the, on the browser. Yeah. But also the easing thing I was talking about is easings.net, which is kind of similar, but this one gives you a huge like table of all the things, um, all the possible. So there's like, Ease in sign, ease in ease out sign, ease in expo, ease out quint, and so. Oh, nice. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of things that I don't use, but it's like it, it might be useful at some point. So, so basically, it, it helps you make like the exact kind of transition or animation that you want without yeah. having to be Sarah Dresner. Yeah, in a <laughs> sense. Yeah. I mean, you. We always aspire. We're all like Dres nerds. Uh, Dres nerds. I love that. <laughs> This shirts. I actually what? haven't heard that. But I love yeah, that. Yeah, um, I think I'm totally um, addressed. Her, her her husband created. Uh, basically, I think they were having a conversation, and then that came up, and then her husband was like, "We're going to create shirts," and created a shirt that said "Dress Nerd" on it, and people have been wearing them. I'm googling so, it and trying to look yeah, for this. I, I'm gonna find a link and drop into the show notes. I have seen Senegal in this t-shirt at JS Heroes. It was, I think, Jason Landorf, who is a maintainer of Gatsby. It was really funny. That's <laughs> awesome. So, so, Natalia, answering the same question, do you have any like animation tips that, that you would give people? Oh, Chris, I'm so bad at CSS, and I consider it as like additional magic to our work. So, actually, my best animation is like building a breakout with simple rectangles <laughs> yeah, with the RxJS, it's the only thing. And I really love using RxJS for animations and games. Mm. What, what would you say is the advantage for people who don't know what RxJS is? Like, when do they know they might want to check it out? <laughs> I think it, the best tip would be just wait until my JS Hero here stock will be released as a video and watch it because I'm like building a game on the stage as well but it's not that piece of art Crystal can build it's just graphics in terms of graphics got it that's cool I I actually I don't think I've used RxJS for animations before so I'm really looking forward to that talk I I can see how it how it would help what about you Ben (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for a different podcast, uh, for a different episode. Ben, what about you? Do you have any animation tips that 
like you really think people should know about? Oh yeah, unfortunately, none of my work with animation coding is one of the things I've been meaning to get back into. But uh, doing a lot of presentation. But for those working in like Keynote and PowerPoint, check out Magic Move. Magic Move is a life, like total game changer when it comes to slides. So yes, I love Magic Move. <laughs> Magic I, Move was heavily featured in my ViewConf talk. Yes. Mine too. Everything was built with Magic Move. <laughs> Basically, for those who don't know what it is, um, you start with one slide and you tell it where the object is and you duplicate the slide to tell it to do magic move. You reposition the object and it'll just do all the magic calculations and it's fantastic. Magically move the object. Yep. It's great. Yeah, and that includes like really cool, you can do really cool like code transitions or at least I think they're really cool. If you check out my slides, uh, which I'll drop in the, sh the show notes for, for ViewConf, you can see an example of like the code moving. And, and actually, if the video is online, you can just check that out too. What about you, Chris? Any animation tips? Gosh, GSAP is a really awesome library for, for doing like complex animations and timelines. I've definitely learned a lot from, from Sarah Dresner about how to use GSAP in a, in a smarter way. Uh, if you check out her articles on, on CSS tricks and other places, uh, you, can, you can learn a lot, a lot. Chris also did this really cool View London logo animation with like, what is it like? Was it Render JS? You have to drop that in the show notes. Here. Oh, with um, it's like the spinning oh. triangles, or like not even triangles. They're three D objects. It was like AR. You could like zoom and change. Yeah, I used uh, A frame. A frame. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I also have a, a talk on visualizations in View using SVG, Canvas, and WebGL. And, and comparing like those techniques and providing a lot of resources. So I'll add a link to that in the show notes too for people who are interested. Yeah, it's also, I think it's in the View Amsterdam, right? Recording, but people just yeah, like, definitely I, check I've it out. Yeah, I've that talk a few times, so I'll, I'll just, I'll put in the latest one. It's a great one. Oh, snap. <laughs> Divya just dropped the Drasner t-shirt. <laughs> nice, thank you, thank you, Divya. Yeah, you need to wear it in droves. I was gonna say, I guess I know what I'm buying in the next five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I feel I, I almost feel a little bit weird about buying it. Like, I, <laughs> should I wear it around Sarah? Or not? <laughs> I think there's there's a lot of people like there's a lot of people who do, and then they've been using like the hashtag Dresnerd on Twitter, and so <laughs> there's like a bunch of the developers like from Nigeria, like Code Beast being one of them, and like because of Concatenate Conf, like bought a bunch of those shirts, and then. Like Jason Langstoff, I think, from Gatsby wore it and she, like while he was at a conference with Sarah. So yeah, it's a thing. Nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So Crystal, I was wondering, 
When you're teaching people like how to do animation stuff, what do you find are some of the like best tools in view specifically that that help people build animations that, you know, maybe they, they wouldn't be able to do with jQuery or, or maybe wouldn't be available uh, with some other frameworks? Yeah, so I think that like the one of the things that I use the most is computed properties, just because it's super useful when you're like, uh, when you want to trigger some animation or change the appearance of something based on something else that happened, computer properties are really, really good for that. And mm. of course, the transition tags are also... For, like, first for computer properties, what's an example of where you use that in your game? On the game, I f- I'm not sure that I actually use it on the game, but I, I used it on one of the examples that I presented afterwards. There was this uh, mobile button thing that you could click on the button and then you would like have uh, a sequence of child buttons that would appear. It's actually a, a really common pattern uh, that would appear seen in like mobile interfaces. And it's basically like one button and when you click on it, a sequence of smaller buttons come out of the main button. And for this specific thing, it's really useful because you can just like watch for changes on the variable that defines if the smaller buttons are visible or not. And then you can do all sorts of uh, calculations based on this specific variable. And also that thing of uh, playing with the, with the index again, because the same thing that happened with the clouds, uh, I can actually call a method and pass the index of that child button in the, in the array of buttons to actually calculate, for example, the bottom pop property in the style so that I can like automatically have the distance from one button to the next one based on the index. Nice. And then you also talked about the transition component. Yeah, the transition component is also something that I think it's really, really nice because it's, it's just so much easier for you to, to just use a, 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 transition, a transition tag and then you have access to all of the steps when you're like removing or inserting something into the DOM without having to actually like implement that yourself, which is a lot more, more work. So that's also something that I think is really powerful. So what, what, is it, what does it help you do exactly? Yeah, for, for example, on the game, uh, I'm using the, the, the transition tag for toggling the, the menus on the, on, the, on the game. So basically you have this button that you, that you can click that says like start game. And then mm-hmm. there is a little animation that basically just moves the whole thing off screen. And then the actual game controls jump on the screen. And this is uh, something that was implemented with the transition tag quite easily. Nice. So it, like, it, it automatically will like, add and remove classes for like, different points in the animation and stuff like that, or, or the transition? Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's one of the things that I think it's really nice about implementing animations with Vue specifically, just because you don't have to keep like, reinventing the wheel or implementing stuff from scratch. You know? It's just there for you to use it. So it's really, really cool. And in your talk, you also, you also mentioned the transition group component. Yeah, that's actually like dark magic, you know? Because, dark magic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so crazy. The first time that I used that thing, I was like, that's bizarre, you know, <laughs> because it didn't have to do anything. I just put the items inside of this transition group thing and it automatically does everything for me. So it's dark magic, really, really dark stuff. <laughs> so, so what is it doing for you? I think it's uh, implementing some sort of like flip animations. Uh, so basically what, what, what it does is that it moves, uh, for example, if I have the, the, the example that I, that I show on the, on the talk is that I have all of these cards 
and then I can change the order of the cards or insert or remove cards. And basically, it just automatically calculates the, the positions of everything and smoothly moves every card to its new position. And uh, this, this is not something that I had to implement. It was just like there, and I just used it. Nice. And we'll drop some, uh, some links to the docs uh, and how to use some of these features in view uh, that Crystal's talking about. Really, really powerful stuff. Cool. It's also the, the talk that Rachel Neighbors gave last year at ViewConf, which is like really good in terms of explaining transition elements and how to like do any like cool animations using view components, which I think is like worth a watch. That talk is actually really, really good. And I, I really like the yeah. drawings, like yes. the, the way that she presented the examples. It's really cool. Yeah. She did she she did like such a wonderful draw with it. Yeah, um, that was one of my favorite talks and a lot of people's favorite talk of uh yeah. Of last year's ViewConf. Yeah. I'm hoping she does more view stuff because she's uh, she's joined the React team officially. So we'll see. That's right. We'll see. <laughs> it's like a battle for talent between React and Vue. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like it's a battle. We, we both have a lot of cool people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I just meant that as a joke, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's not... Uh, we're not adversarial. I... <laughs> Uh, Rachel, no, Rachel and I are still on very good terms. <laughs> so, Crystal, um, this is more of, I guess, uh, I was looking into the Van Arts program that you had mentioned that you had taken because I think that's a, that was your first like official exposure to design. Was that correct? Uh, it wasn't my f- first exposure to design, but I guess it was more like uh, learning the theory behind the things that I was just like guessing how to do up to that moment. Got it. Okay, so you know, I think there are a lot of developers who are you know obviously interested in sort of getting their feet with, wet with design and those sort of things. Like, would you recommend them checking out like, uh, you know, like a graphic design program near them? Or like, do you know of any online resources that you might recommend for developers looking to get, you know, more involved with, you know, this sort of animation and that sort of thing? Yeah, about online resources specifically for design, I'm not super familiar with it because basically like uh, I, I learned a bunch of things while I was attending this course. And because like the, the, the main goal is, is for people to, to uh, graduate in uh, game arts and design, which is the name of the, the course that I, that I did, and basically start working with games. So it was really it. focused on like one specific thing, which is like everything related to games. And because games are such, such complicated things to, to do, it's a, it's a course that actually offers really different uh, classes. Like I learned about color theory, but I also learned about uh, programming uh, in Python in 3D environments. And I also learned about shaders and lots of different different things. So in my experience, like this specific course was really interesting for, for me to understand how to connect all of these different pieces of information uh, when creating something new. That's helpful. Thank you. I think Tessa, at one point when, we, when I chatted with her, I think on one of the last recordings, was mentioning that she's doing a like a, a graphic design or a design course that Shillington offers, and they're just like a professional certificate style program where you can. I think I forget how long it is. I think it's three months full time or something like that. So it's kind of like a design boot camp, which I think is really neat because it's something that I would totally take just to like ramp up on design skills because there's a lot of like people learning development skills, but I think there's so much value of like developers learning design skills. And just to bring that around, there's a course that like Sarah Dresner did 
called Design for Developers that's on Frontend Masters. And it's a wonderful course that I would highly recommend just because it gives you a high-level understanding of typography, layout, just like visual elements that you can use directly into your applications just to make it look a lot more compelling. I would strongly second that. I want to mention one more book, actually about design and development and design for developers, and it's Refactoring UI by Adam Watson. It's actually great if you never tried to design your website and you want to. Yeah, and also like uh, now that I've, that I've remembered, uh, actually I think that one of the the interesting aspects for developers to learn about when when we talk about design is actually about user experience, because I think that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to that, and I think that that's actually something that is super useful for us as developers to learn about. There is a, a book. The name is uh, "Don't Make Me Think," and I, I think oh, it's so good book about uh, user experience as a whole and uh, it's a really easy to read and I can totally recommend everybody to read it yeah and if people check it out make sure to buy don't make me think revisited that's the the updated one oh yeah please because like the original one was written like many many years ago <laughs> so the the examples are a bit outdated I guess mm-hmm. talking about user experience you know sometimes we're just talking about like making things pretty. And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a little bit. What's really the point of making things pretty? Is that something that's really valuable? Like making things like, you know, feel good and like have like, you know, nice animations. Isn't that all just like extra stuff that, that doesn't really matter? Because you, you agree? That I, I do. And, and this was actually like one I of the things that I, that I... <laughs> yeah, but, but, but the thing is that like, I, I don't agree when people think about design as art, you know? Because there are lots of people that think that design is uh, almost the same as art. And I totally don't agree with that. I think that design is technical skill the same way that programming is. Uh, and that's why I think that like, it's something that you can learn. And there are books about it and, and this sort of thing. So it's, it's not something that I think that it's uh, something that you sit down and you're like, inspired and you design an interface. You know, it's, it's not like that. And I, and I don't think that making things pretty actually has any value in terms of uh, making things more uh, useful or uh, making it easier for people to understand what the, what the point of the application is or to, to understand what your brand is about. So I, I, I agree. I don't think that making things pretty per se is something that is uh, interesting. I think that what is interesting is when, when you can use the techniques uh, from design as, as, a, as a body of study to actually combine the aesthetics of, 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 of something with the functionality of that something. Yeah, I, I do agree that sometimes like, you know, animations can be overused and, and can sometimes not be additive. You know, like you could just have a lot of things happening on the screen. It could be really distracting. But there are also so many times when, when making things prettier like makes the difference. Like when I'm choosing like a to-do app or a habit tracking app or, you know, like you know, different, different websites that, that offer similar services. A lot of times I, t- I go with like what's prettiest because they all essentially do the same thing. And yeah. I just want to like feels the best to me. Definitely. But that's what I was saying. Like, it's not just because it's pretty. It's probably because, I don't know, you found that it was pretty because it was easier for you to f- find the information that you wanted or to organize the things that you were trying to do or something else, you know? Just because it was pretty, I'm not sure that that's actually like why 
you know, people do things. Well, sh- sure. I'm, I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but I, I think the prettiness like often makes it easier to use. Like when, when you have an animation and, you know, you're like moving something to a folder and, you know, you click on the button to move it to a folder and then like you can see it actually like go to that folder. Yeah, but I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying don't make things pretty or don't implement animations because that's literally what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think I am valuable. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, I think that it's it's important to keep in mind that those things should uh, should be parts of a goal. You know, you're you're not you're not supposed to just implement animations because you think it's nice to implement animations everywhere. You know? Especially because it can be super distracting. Like on my MacBook, I, I lots of times when when I I, I toggle the the the, the modes that you can dis, uh, disable the the animations and the transitions when you're like moving from one desktop to the other and this kind of thing. Just be, because when I'm working, I find that that's distracting, you know. And uh, again, I think that my work is super important. <laughs> I'm not saying that people should not uh, implement uh, animations, but I think that it has to be with a purpose, you know. And actually, the material design guidelines for animations are a really good resource in terms of what you should or you should not do for animating things in the UI. Because they have like lots of actual examples of like do and don't, you know, and also guidelines that you can actually follow in terms of timings for animations. Or if you like put a bunch of, animate a bunch of things on the screen, you can actually make it more distracting than actually like reinforcing the action that the the user is, is, is doing. Because, for example, what you just mentioned about uh, dragging some file into the into the, the trash totally makes sense for 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 uh, from a user perspective to have that animation happening. But if you were doing that and there was something else crazy going on on the screen while you were doing that, I don't think that it would be such a nice experience. Yeah, and to sort of um, go on that too, I think. I think pretty is one way to put it, but also I think when you see something that's aesthetically pleasing, it shows like a level of quality. I think that the developers have put time into. I think I think a lot of us have that experience of downloading apps that are free, but you can just tell like there's just very little work put into like the design. And I think when things um, have design efforts put into it, I mean to Crystal's point, I think it just it makes us for this overall just really great experience. So and yeah. we trust it more. We trust exactly. that a lot inherently. We just trust the it. technical details. Right. I'll gladly pay money for something that looks better just because I'm going to, I assume that it is made with more love and care. And, and you're yeah. basically spending time there. And, and I guess that that's my, my main point. It's not, I'm not saying that design is not important. I'm saying that it's super important, but the, the important part is the technical aspect, aspects of design and not yeah. just like trying to treat design as art and trying to make yeah. things pretty just because you want to make things pretty. Totally. One of the things that I've sometimes like made things pretty to achieve is team morale, like improving team morale. Like a, a lot of times, like people, you know, if you if you wait to make things pretty later, which I often try to do, you know, because I, I try to focus on just like making it work first and then making it work better and making it, you know, look good. I find that people are much more excited to work on a product that like feels really nice to them and not just on the development team, like people on the product team and the sales team, everybody just feels like better about it and prouder of it when there are these little touches that just make it feel really nice. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that this is the sort of thing that uh, reinforces the, the messages or the actions uh, from an application. And also, it's just, it's just like make, makes me feel that the, the application is more mature or polished. Yeah. And to Chris's point, like as a team, you feel proud to show it off and send it to like friends and people you care about. So I, I think I have one more question. I think this will be a question for, for everybody too. Crystal, I am curious about what's the last thing that you worked on that you spent probably about you know, five to 10 times as long playing with it as you did building it, where you just got carried away and it took <laughs> over your entire Okay, so basically I, I was working on this uh, image upload component and uh, you could like reorder the images. So there was a drag and drop feature after you uploaded the, the, the images. And uh, I found it was so cool to implement like this little like animations for, for example, that you could, after you, you uploaded the images, you could actually select some of the images that were on your newly built gallery. And then the way that you could select it was that there was this icon on hover. Uh, and when you clicked on it, the icon went from like a check mark to an X or something like that. Uh, and there was a lot of like small details like that, you know, the things that you could uh, play around when you're like clicking or dragging, dropping and this kind of thing. And uh, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time playing around, like just clicking manually on the button to see what happens. So yeah, yeah th this was the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is an optional one for, for, for other people. Uh, I, I'm not going to make you answer this one. But does anybody else have a, have a good story like that? Yeah, I think I have one. Uh, I was actually trying to play with web speech API in with, and with the voice recognition. And I was trying to make an IoT device. It was a particle photon to blink with a color I'm naming right now. I spent like, I think, 30 minutes building the API. And I played like for the whole day because it was so funny. You just say yellow and it blinks yellow. And also it involved my son. He was totally happy commanding the device to blink with a certain color. So it was a great toy. <laughs> All right. I, I think the last one that, that I really just like spent way too much time on was actually like not even web development. I think it was in uh, like magic move for the ViewConf talk. Like when I, when I started having like uh, transforms that went back and forth, like between the different uh, code examples, I just go... Whoosh, back and forth. These are my sound effects that, that I added that they weren't in the slides. I try to do my own sound effects <laughs> for my slides, you know, sort of like a lot of actors do their own stunts. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's more, it's like more pro that way. I'm totally going to use sound effects from now on. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I can't help it. Like I end up doing a lot of sound effects when I'm playing with animations and showing them to people. All right. So Crystal, where can people find you on the internets? Pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I guess that like Googling my name uh, will bring all of the social media things. So I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Medium uh, and GitHub. Everywhere is Crystal Campioni without spaces. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Excellent. It's all spelled the same? Exactly the same. <laughs> Beautiful. That's what I like to do too. Easier that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Natalia. Yes. <laughs> I was just giving you a hard time because you have different names in different places. <laughs> no, actually not. <laughs> you have, what about Tersha? 
Oh my god, it's just a nickname <laughs> from the world of Warcraft, and it's just on Discord. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Uh, I can't remember if 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 uh, Ben and Didia have different names. I, I'm not going to give them a hard time. I can't. I can't. No, recall. I've, I've I've camped out all my Ben codes on one, so I'm happy with that. And I think Divi, you're short div everywhere, right? I, yeah, I'm pretty much short div everywhere. I think I own that now. I think it's you. Yeah, it's your brand. Brand. <laughs> it's my brand. I always cool. forget that it has like the term short in it because everyone's like, oh yeah, you are short. And I was like, why would, why would you say that? And then I realized. <laughs> it seems really rude until. <laughs> Gosh. Why did you decide to use this nickname? Um, it's like, it's, it's just because in high school there were two Divias and I was the shorter one. And so someone called me short div and I just started getting into web development. And so it like kind of stuck. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com view. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Let's go on to picks. Ben, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll start this week. Uh, so I'm actually going to have one pick, uh, which is the book Bad Blood, which is about the Theranos case in Silicon Valley. If you haven't read the book, it's uh, really fascinating. Uh, Brian Holt had recommended it actually on Twitter because there's a segment in there where they talk about how they thought they could write the application faster with ActionScript than they could with JavaScript. And it was this, or Flash actually, it was crazy. But yeah, there's also a documentary on HBO if you haven't watched it. Just what finished it yesterday. Really great. I didn't realize the documentary had come out. Yeah, it's like, even if you've read the book, it gives you more context on things. And so I thought it was super, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Because I've been reading stuff on Theranos. Google's been like, do you want to know about Elizabeth Holmes? And so I've been getting... <laughs> <laughs> you and I totally need like, Do you know she's married? She's getting married? This is like pictures from when she was like out with her fiance <laughs> and her wolf. And I was just like... Her wolf. Her wolf? Yeah. Which is not a wolf. Like okay. A husky that she claims is like 1%. She, she like 1%. claims, I think when it was like during the downfall of Theranos, she, she bought a, a dog and then f like basically tried to convince everyone that it was a wolf. And it's kind of weird because like the dog was just walking around the lab, which is really like unclean. <laughs> and it's, it's very bizarre. It's a bizarre thing. Cool. So, Divya, speaking of bizarre, would you like to give us some bizarre tips? Or uh, not, not tips, but uh, what do we call them again? I'm having a, a brain something. Picks. Picks. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. So I mentioned, I mentioned the Drasnod shirt earlier, and I would highly recommend getting them. They're pretty cool. There's some really good talks at ViewConf, and so when the videos come out, I would like highly recommend it, especially Crystal's one. I thought that was really great. Um, and then also, I think I'm biased here, but I really like Tessa's talk as well. And so I want to plug that. 
the the reason why I say I don't want to be biased is because I helped her with the talk. But, <laughs> but she she did an absolutely wonderful job. And if anything, I was just like kind of being there as a someone that she could rant to if she wanted to, rather than yeah. But th- that those two talks I think were like my favorite ones. Excellent, Natalia. Would you like to go next? Yes, and I have a pretty much obvious pick. Uh, this week we have Game of Thrones, first episode of the last season released. So if you haven't watched it, go and try. Ben, it's not for you. I know you are not watching Game of Thrones, but <laughs> actually, actually, you should too. It's really interesting. I, I did read the first book. I read all the books. I mean, like, it's not ended, but still. I, I stopped in the middle of the fifth book, but I Why? won't... I, I, I can't say why. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Yeah, we'll talk after. Cool. Is that, is that all? Yes. All right. My picks are, first, Baba is You. It's a super, super fun puzzle game that someone got for me recently that is just a ton of fun. It's different from any other puzzle game I've ever played. You're actually manipulating the rules of the puzzle in order to solve the puzzle. So, like, that's like one of the rules is Baba is you. So there's this like little thing that looks like maybe a cow or something like that, whose name is Baba, and that's you. So that's the thing that you control and move around. And then you can change like what you are to other things, and you can change like instead of wall is stop. You know, you can change wall to other things. And it's, it's so, so good. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil anything. But it's just so fun. Definitely check it out uh, if you're into, interested in puzzle games. It's on Steam, for those wondering. Windows, Mac, and Mac. Mac and Mac. Mac and Mac. So my, my other pick is uh, Miriam's talk at, at ViewConf. That's my other one that I, I just really, 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 really loved. Miriam also did one of my favorite talks last year, and she just nails it out of the park every time. And there are so many like callbacks to other other talks and stuff like that. And it's just like it's so funny and it's so informative. Uh, she talks about similarly to uh, Crystal's talk, like a lot of tools that are uh, that you can use or features that you can use in CSS to make like really nice design systems and things like that. I, I think people people might be able to tell that I like making things pretty. And I especially like 